This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Sir Christopher Gilbert joins us from Japan. Wild stories from the around the world with the International Dispatch. We learn about a town in Britain that's run by a pony, mm-hmm, like a little horse, and some very angry monkeys and a dolphin boy band. It's an animal tour on the International Dispatch. Could artificial intelligence choose to be evil? The world of weird things, Greg Fish tells us how scientists are prepped to deal with rogue AI. And should we be scared of computers and what AI can do? Plus, are you okay with water slides? All of this and more today on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. We need to go on a tour around the world. Let's hit it for Chris. Welcome to the International Dispatch from our world citizen. Live from Japan, New Zealand's Chris Gilbert. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday Mm -hmm. to you. Happy birthday, dear Sir Christopher. Happy birthday to you. Why, thank you. You're a week late, but it's not really your fault. I don't. I just bailed on you guys last yeah, week. Yeah, you didn't show up last week for your party. We had uh, a party my, planned. It's my birthday. Oh, really? <laughs> a party on the radio? What did that involve? Tell me. Well, you coming to be here, step one. <laughs> me showing up to work. <laughs> me singing, me singing <laughs> yeah. you a song, step two, end of party. What else do you need? Well, it sounds like we're doing it right now. It's a party already. I'm not the one being critical of it. You're the one who's like, you're late. Maybe you're late. (laughs) Nah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Every happy birthday counts. Thank you. Did you you have fun? Did you do something special? Uh, What was, tell me about the birthday party. Oh, well, actually, my partner's birthday is the day before mine. So um, so I actually spent... Yeah, I, I you know I kind of do, you know I kind of pretend like it's no big deal, but also at the same time it's like for the rest of my life I know that I'm going to be, yeah, kind of going to be sickened forever. But you, you know, yeah, you never get the you, last word on the gift though, right? Like you have to have your you give the gift first, and then your wife can like quickly go improve on the gift in time for tomorrow for your birthday, and then so you always can get one upped in the gifting. Oh no! I see. I got a I got a solution for that, which is that I um I underplay the gifting beforehand. I'm like, okay, we're not really doing gifts this year, you know, and like you know, like, and let's just keep it under ten bucks or whatever. And then here's a car. Up, I, I, exactly, exactly. Like so, leading up to it, but I don't want to give the shock, you know, because I, I don't want to spoil her birthday by giving her something really like nice or expensive or whatever after I said no presents because that's not very nice. Um, so I kind of start to leak it, you know, kind of like um, a government ministry or something. I start to leak the news, like just just so you know, I, I spent a little more on your birthday this year than I intended to. But then it's it, so she knows it's going to be more than the agreement, but the agreement still stands. So when it comes around to my birthday, she kind of has to catch up to me. Mm-hmm. So it, it's all kinds of weird mind games and manipulation you have to do around birthdays. I found. Sounds healthy for your marriage. Well done. Very healthy. Yeah. But no, I had a great day. We just chilled. I mean, like we've got, you know, um, 35,000 cases of COVID-19 raging outside our windows. And I guess it's just kind of like the flu now. But um, last time we had it, it hit us pretty hard and and it took a long time to bounce back from it. So I don't really want to have it again. So um, 
yeah just chill just chilled at home um ate my favorite foods watched some movies nice. you know like i'm i'm pretty old now so i don't care about this stuff anymore it's true um yeah okay yeah. so two things there to your point about the covid stuff the reality is is that even though it's somewhat more normalized and more mellow in the world today uh it doesn't make the impact less convenient i mean it still sucks mm-hmm. so um, that's a good point. So, uh, favorite foods, you did say it. Now, uh, radio guy got to ask. So, what is Chris Gilbert's favorite birthday food? Um, no offense to the vegetarians out there, but honestly, just meat on a bone. Like, if, if it's a meat oh. on a bone and it's cooked well, like, that's what I want. Like, if it's like lamb shanks or like a T bone steak or like, I don't know, chicken drumsticks, I love meat on a bone. And like, really? I don't eat, I don't eat it that often. Cause you know, meat's kind of expensive. You know, I go grocery shopping and get my kind veggies, of. get my carbs, get some protein, but like not, you know, but like I'll never go out and just buy meat on a bone. So um, for my birthday, I, um, I asked, I asked my partner to, to make me, <laughs> make me meat on a bone. That's and great. she did. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So Christopher awesome. Gilbert. Yeah. Uh, he's from Izakiwi. He was uh, in Japan. Then he was in Canada. He was part of the Shifthead crew here and then um, moved back to Japan, got himself all married up. Now, working there and learning the language and living uh, in uh, Tokyo and all of those things and joins us here on the Shift for what we call the International Dispatch. So, Chris, you take us on a tour around the world. Can you start in your hometown and um, uh, in your yeah. home country now and maybe um, yeah. help us understand what's been going on in the wild world of monkeys? Oh, yeah, we've got marauding monkeys over here in Japan, Shane, and Ryan, and everybody. The monkeys, <laughs> it's, it's like spring break for the monkey world. You know, it's monkeys gone wild. Uh, Japan has a lot of macaques. Um, you might know them as like those very cute things that like to hang out in snow-covered rock pools and just like, have a, 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 you know, like they have the little hot baths. It's very famous. But um, they're all over the country. I saw some over the weekend, actually. And... There's a town called, we've talked about this town on the show before, Yamaguchi. Oh, man, every time something goes down, it's always Yamaguchi. Because last time we talked about Yamaguchi, it was that guy who um, uh, who lost the floppy disk and uh, gave all the COVID relief money to one person. Remember that? And then that mm-hmm. person ran away and spent it on online casinos. But this time it's monkeys. Uh, Yamaguchi is surrounded by mountains. And uh, in those mountains are macaques. And... Uh, this month, uh, sorry, excuse me, last month, uh, July, there were 66 attacks in Yamaguchi City from these monkeys, uh, which is pretty uncommon considering how common the macaque is in Japan. Um, you know, these were originally just on, uh, you know, children playing hopscotch on the street, ladies doing their shopping, you know, and a macaque jumps out of the bushes with a knife between its teeth and, and, you know, like bites them on the foot and runs away again or steals their handbag or something. But actually, they're quite determined monkeys. Like these things were breakering, uh, breakering, breaking mm. into people's houses via their windows. They were opening like their their bug screens, you know, and, you know, like like actually like Green Beret style breaking into people's houses. Some accounts here, one guy said, I heard crying, so I went downstairs and found a monkey hunching over my child. Terrifying. Terrifying. Another man in his 70s said he had his foot bitten while he was sleeping. Imagine that. You get, oh, is it? Oh, 
nasty bite. Well, what, what was that? Maybe there's a spider in the bed. Look down your bed. There's a macaque uh, at the end of your bed, just nibbling on nibbling on your pinky down there. Um, Horrifying. Can I just note that you just threw out maybe it's a spider in your bed, like it's a normal occurrence? Yeah, it's normal. Okay, mosquito in your room yeah. driving you crazy. You think that's bad. Monkey, even worse. But let's not just diminish there's a spider in your bed like it's just something that happens, Chris. No, this happens to me all. Is it just me? I'm always waking up with spider bites on me. Actually, mosquitoes love me. What? I don't know if it's my uh, my blood type or what it is. I used to think it was because I was a smoker, which I'm not anymore. I haven't been for years. But like when I was a smoker, I used to think... <laughs> This is so stupid. I used to think mosquitoes liked the nicotine in my blood yeah. and they were addicted to me because the mosquitoes would come and bite me so often. But I'm actually scared of spiders because when I was a kid, uh, we have the spider in New Zealand called the white tail spider, which you know has a white tail and they're, they're pretty venomous. They leave you, give you a nasty swelling, that's for sure. And I woke up one night, I was like 13 years old and I felt like the tag, like the shirt tag of my pajamas digging yeah. in the back of my neck. And I went to like fix it and I grabbed it and I pulled away and there was a white tail spider like wiggling between my fingers and I threw it <laughs> and I, I, I shook out my sheets. I did the sheet, the sheet shake every night for about, you know, 20 years after that. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. I never so, yeah, slept I, again. I, yeah, well, I think it is a pretty normal occurrence for me, actually. I'm surprised to hear that it's not for you, Shane, to have a spider in your bed. No, no, it's not. It's not. It's well, not you, a normal occurrence at the, all. You live in the frozen hinterlands of Alberta, you know, where nothing lives, let alone spiders. <laughs> it's not that cold, but I suppose maybe. Uh, okay, well, I, anyway, I love how comfortable you are in this conversation. I'm clearly not. Yeah, <laughs> let's move on. Um, anyway, so yeah, a monkey bit the guy's the foot. You thought mosquitoes were yeah. bad. Yeah, and uh, I mean... <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking now, like, if you wake up with your foot in a monkey's mouth, you know, I'm glad the monkey was biting him is all I'm saying, because you don't want anything else to be going on. Like, imagine if the monkey was just like, you know, giving you a bit of a rub, like, you know, tenderly, like maybe not, you know, just like maybe a couple of, a I massage. don't know. I don't know what monkeys do, but I'm just saying that like, actually, and now I think about it, if you wake up with your foot in a monkey's mouth, a bite is probably the best outcome of that situation in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, could be. I mean, if hey, if the monkey was going to give me a little foot rub, then that's fine. I'm okay with that. But yeah, no, I don't I don't I don't want to wake up and see a monkey ginger, gingerly like just Anyway, um yeah, he was bitten. They've um <laughs> gingerly. They've, they've, they didn't know at first if it was just like one really like, you know, brutal monkey or a whole posse of them. Um, they've now confirmed because they were hunting them with tranquilizer guns. Um, and they've now confirmed that uh, they caught and have sadly put down two of the culprits just last week. Oh. Um, Japan, I'll just, you know, no, not exactly known for its, um, you know, how well it treats animals. Um, as animal, you know, it, it's not the, the nicest country in the world for that. But I expect in this case, it's the sort of same sort of thing as when like a bear becomes conditioned to eat out of your neighbor's garbage bin and they get mm -hmm. conditioned to human food. 
I think these monkeys might have become conditioned to like attacking grandma, and they were oh, like, boy. "Okay, no, we got to, we got to get rid of the monkeys." Like just a couple. Um, so anyway, at the moment, the 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 attacks are ongoing, and they're warning locals to securely lock up their homes and avoid eye contact with any monkeys. Uh, so Christopher Gilbert and a text message from Catherine. Happy birthday, Chris. You are the best. Thank you. Thanks for the laughter and all the rest, the stories, the hatred of the famous cat, the fish that stunk. <laughs> but really the best is that you're a shift head like all of us. Aww. Oh, that is that is the best birthday present yet, Catherine. Um, nice. I, I sincerely hope that as Catherine Stewart, our, own, our old um, <laughs> executive producer. Mm-hmm. No, probably not. But no, um, I'm glad the ca- I'm glad from the Surrey. cat came up. I'm glad the cat came up because um, that is, that is going to come up in the next story, actually. Oh, really? Uh, which one? The, the potato chip Gilbert. Potato chip Gilbert. Potato chip Gilbert. No, not my imaginary cat. Um, Mittens, oh. um, the cat of Wellington, um, who right. I hate. Right. Um, and we're going. Is that where we're going now? We're going. Are we doing dolphins? Since we're all, it's the yeah, welcome no, no, to no, the no, all no, animal no. show. Uh, it is an animal hour, but um, we're going to the town of Cockington in, um, in, in Devon, uh, UK, where a row has broken out uh, because um, the mayor can't go to the pub anymore. Uh, the mayor has been banned. The mayor of Cockington has been banned from the pub uh, in Cockington in Devon uh, because, Shane, uh, the mayor's a pony. A pony? Um, yeah, it's a pony. It's a Shetland pony called Patrick. Patrick the Pony. <laughs> and a very Parks and Rec Little Sebastian moment, uh, the town of Cockington uh, has Patrick the Pony for a mayor after the former mayor, who was a human, uh, passed away in 2019. There was a, a petition online to make Patrick the Pony the mayor, and he is now the mayor. Wow. Cockington. Um, he was made the mayor earlier this uh, earlier last month at a ceremony attended by local Conservative MP Kevin Foster. Um, he has been holding court from a, quote, interaction pen, which I think is the same kind of enclosure they keep Joe Biden in, uh, which is in the garden of the Drum Inn, uh, his favorite pub. Um, however, uh, he was forced to leave uh, because somebody complained to the Torbay Local Council uh, they uh, that uh, they the owners of the pub need a planning permission for uh, a pony and an animal grazing area which they didn't have, so um, can't go to the pub. Um, I I'll just say I love this quote. This is my favorite. Leon Butler, a local resident who used to chair uh, the local neighborhood planning committee, blah blah blah, suggested the complaint was sparked by anger at a pony being made mayor. Speaking to the Times of London, he said, I'm pretty certain it's all about Patrick becoming mayor. It's someone who doesn't like that. I suspect there's a lot of people who have got an extra grind about a pony becoming mayor. I have my suspicions who it is. It's someone who also thinks they're the mayor of Cockington. (laughs) And they have a habit of sticking their nose in. Oh, I love it. It's so British. Um, apparently this person also has made quite a few anti-Patrick posts on Facebook and some pointed barbed comments. So, Is it a donkey? So, um, <laughs> you know what? It might be a donkey. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's the, um, the, I don't know, the head of the chamber of commerce who's a duck. Um, uh, I would like uh, to clarify though. You, you said that, uh, Patrick is a Shetland pony. 
Yeah. Shitlin okay. Pony. Yeah, so your, your accent slide down on that one, buddy. Just so you know. Oh, really? Oh, what's, yeah. what's wrong? Okay, I'm not, let's not go, let's not open up that. We didn't go there. I just, I just want to clarify no. for everyone listening that you weren't being flippant. <laughs> no, <laughs> good Lord. No, I'm, I'm no, it's a shit. Well, you never party. know. That's my, it, might've been why they kicked him out of the pub. Okay. Um, let's continue with the animal theme. And, uh, do you want to go down and do the dolphins? Cause if you do that, I have a song I have to play. So, um, uh, okay. But would you want to do um, dolphins? Yeah, no, no. I as soon as you say the country, I've got to play it. It's a rule here. Okay, um, Australia. Just drive from town to paradise, and you'll see why we call Australia home. Sir Christopher Gilbert and a story about dolphins. Uh, does that happen every time I say Australia? Australia. Just drive from town to paradise and you'll see why we call Australia home. It's quite a long bit of music too. Isn't it? I know. It really kill kill some time there. Okay. Hey. Okay. Um Shark Bay Dolphins um are forming the equivalent of a boy band uh to attract oh. the mate scientists say. Um, apparently, uh, Shark Bay, which is just a great name for a piece of water off the coast of Australia. It sounds like know. a place to go swimming. I can tell you. Yeah. Uh, it's probably the safest. It's probably, I tell you what, going swimming in Shark Bay, it's probably walking as safer than walking around with your wallet out in Perth. Um, however, <laughs> um, about 800 kilometers North of Perth, um, these are Shark Bay, the local Dolphins are turning to song and dance to attract a mate. Uh, Simon Allen, wow. uh, who is the co-director of the Shark, Shark Bay Dolphin Research Alliance, says, he, this is a quote by him, you'll hear this, click, 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 which is exactly what I expect to hear when I'm listening mm. to a dolphin. And then the pace and the tempo will be matched by these tightly bonded males in a bromance world. This is so bizarre. He said the male dolphins are in groups of four to 14 and are performing synchronized movements and displays while singing in unison to attract females. Wow. I tell you what, I tell you what, when I found this story, I thought it was kind of lame, but now that I'm reading out loud, it's quite amazing. It's quite amazing. I love it. I, why do they call that? What do they call it when they, Ryan, what do they call those shells? And when people go to like Mexico, they get like the necklace and it's the shells. Like, like a conch shell or, or, uh, yeah. no, yeah, like, um, oh, the one that like the really like cringy guys would wear and like, like yeah, like the boy bands would wear it when they would have their oh. frosted tips. I'm imagining dolphins with those, but it's like conch shell, but it's, it's like that, but it's like those shell necklaces. Ryan's Googling quickly. Ayo, um, Google, Google. Uh, puka shell that's it puka shell necklace puka shell that's what necklace. i imagine these dolphins are singing <laughs> and dancing with a puka shell necklace and some frosted tips on their fins wait i'm just googling puka shell necklace is this what the boy bands wear well back in the early 2000s there was an awful lot of puka shell necklaces with open like, like v-neck button-up shirts like in sync and and with frosted tips on the on the messy oh, hair oh my God, how did I forget this? Well, I was like 14 years old at the time. Oh, oh. that's oh, that's horrific. 
Actually, you know, like, imagine those the bucket dolphins look like the bucket hat has come back, right? And in Japan, yeah. the frosted yep. tips and the bleached hair is back. The puka shell necklace never came back, and mm. uh, I'm all the more thankful for it. Um, I actually thought when I read this story, I, I don't know if you remember that movie with Russell Crowe, um, also an Australian, uh, called A Beautiful Mind, where he plays a uh, mm. John Nash, the mathematician, and there's yep. that scene. Uh, where he's talking about he, he discovers he, he read um, he redoes uh, Adam Smith's game theory by with uh, by using women there's a woman in the bar and he's like with five mates and he's like okay if we all go in at the same time we all block each other and no one gets to go out with the lady um, if we go for her friends they'll feel like sick and best and then they'll turn away from us. But if no one goes for the main lady and everyone goes for the friends and everyone wins, and that's exactly, I was going to get a, you know, a soundbite of that, but you know, it was kind of boring radio, so I didn't bother. But I think the same thing with the dolphins is that like, if you've got 14 dolphins, try dancing in unison to try and attract one lady dolphin. What the heck happens? Because I don't know if you've noticed, but dolphins all kind of look the same. Well, on paper, rock, scissors has got to be hard with a flipper. I guess you could do, um, what could you do? Uh, you could do uh, fish, fish in the mouth, um, beach ball on the nose, and mm. um, I don't know, yeah. flipping backwards. I don't know. I don't know what, what dolphins do. But yeah, I was just like, how do, how do, how do, how do you choose? You know, you got 14 dolphins kind of like shaking, shaking their fins, you know, maybe dating. doing a wink. I don't know if dolphins can wink, you know. You know, and they're going click, 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 click. It's like there's a dolphin here on the show. It's so good. In unison, you know, like I, I would have a hard time picking. I don't know how um a lady, oh, you know, like a man dolphin. I don't know how they do it. I would be able to pick. Too hard. Yeah, yeah. Today's world, you can't assume. It's this love is love, man. Just set it free. All right. Um, that little amazing uh piece of insight was Sir Christopher Gilbert, the birthday boy. Uh, live from Tokyo uh, here on The Shift. Happy birthday, buddy. Hope you had fun. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll see you again on my birthday um, next year as well, where I expect uh, even even more gusto with the singing. And I expect right. uh, Jonathan and, and Brandon and, and, and Ryan and everyone to join in. And, uh, you know, oh, maybe like some chorus. effects in the Zoom call as well. You know, like some okay. birthday cake effects and stuff. Not that you're demanding. We'll also work on our synchronized swimming too for you. Since we're <laughs> awesome. This is the Shift Podcast. It is time for the world of weird things, my friends. Yep, let's get a little bit weird. And let me tell you, I think Greg Fish has worked very hard to um, take us to that place on the show. Let's get started. Welcome, Welcome. to the world of weird things with Greg Fish. Small programming note for you. When Greg Fish comes and says, hey, how about evil AI next week? And I'm like, sure, sounds cool. And then you realize, oh, by the way, it's terrifying. Here we are. Hi, Fish. How's it going? Uh, it's good. Thank you very much. You you promised. You delivered. Worldofweirdthings.com, by the way. The link to the article will be posted at shiftheads.ca, the Facebook group. And... um you uh yeah this is scary stuff what do you got so what i have is exactly what i meant 
evil AI, or rather, to be a little bit more precise, can we use an AI that's meant to actually help people, to treat people, to find new medications, new antibiotics, new treatments, and turn it into basically a mass murderer just by flipping a switch? Great. So Thanks probably- for coming. Great to talk to you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so Join us next probably week for guess. more Greg Fish, right? <laughs> okay, very well. Oh. I I thought I mean I thought I was going to tell you what we could do to stop that, but uh, oh, you we know, can you... we can stop it. Why don't yes, you lead with that? Don't... By the way, uh, the world is ending. I can save you. That's a way better introduction, Fishy. Well, yes, it is. But then you know people are more interested in the part where things kind of go wrong like notice all the interest Ah. in post-apocalyptic movies i don't know i think people are introduced to they're more interested in the part where i don't die right like that's i think that this is why greg computer scientists don't do marketing just saying um people want to know are they going to live at the end of this movie (laughs) you know that you know the worst part of that statement my undergrad degree is actually in marketing so i mean (laughs) yeah there's as you can see i've been putting it to great use over the years uh this is true by the way this is true yeah this is true i'm not making that up uh but okay so, so in all seriousness, uh, we right now actually have AIs that are being used to find new antibiotics, new treatments, and we talked about some of them on, on the show um, uh, that basically they, they expedite the process of discovering new molecules that could actually have a beneficial effect. Uh, but a group of computer scientists and researchers said, well, what if someone actually uses it for evil? Is that even possible? So they took one of those models And they essentially just flipped the switch and said, instead of trying to find new cures, find a way to kill humans really quickly and effectively. And within six hours, it not only affected a more, uh, not only invented a more potent form of VX, which is a nerve agent that's used for chemical warfare. It invented 40,000 different molecules that are either very similar to bioweapons that we have now or completely new ones. And there were thousands of them. So they obviously didn't synthesize any of them, they didn't publish any of them, but basically they said, "Oh, this is pretty bad. This is this is this is a really uh, a nasty thing to keep in mind." So one would think, "Okay, well, game over. Anyone can can anyone with enough money and power, you know, a, a dictator of a rogue state can buy a model like this." and flip the switch and come up with unstoppable bioweapons. But it's actually not that easy. First and foremost, the scientists did not synthesize those molecules, which is an important distinction because something that is modeled and the computer says this should exist and chemists say, yeah, this looks like it should, this should actually work and actually making it and using it are completely different things because it's entirely possible that a lot of those molecules, you could just never really synthesize them in a way that would work they could be too corrosive to actually ever contain they could be completely unstable and decay to other molecules that would be completely inert Um, they could be impossible to actually weaponize because you can only have them inside a lab in very specialized conditions so you can even put them in any sort of storage or delivery mechanism Uh, and then on top of that we can also keep in mind that we could actually just run them through the AI the other way around and get an antidote right away. So it's not quite it's not quite a slam dunk. What what we could essentially say is that yes, this technology could be used 
to expedite the search for new chemical warfare agents, but it can also be used to expedite the search for cures. In fact, you can imagine uh, a government with enough capacity and, and enough wealth um, taking this to a bio lab or taking this to a uh, to an appropriate facility, uh, creating all of these simulations and then kind of running them back and seeing, okay, well, what are some of the antidotes that we can manufacture? Because a lot of these chemicals are going to be related. A lot of their functions are going to be related. So we could essentially use that to create preemptive recipes for antidotes in case someone actually tries to build new warfare agents. So in fact, this opens up this whole new frontier of essentially trying to guess how can we defend ourselves from potential chemical weapon attacks in the future if someone were to use an AI to come up with them. So it's not quite, you know, yes, we can use an AI for evil. It's we can, but we can also flip it and use it for good, and we're not completely helpless. Well, Arnold Schwarzenegger proves you wrong, first of all. Um, and uh, they tried to build AI for good, and the AI got evil. So clearly... Uh, not cool. Now, I'm guessing when you program something like this to run a test like this, you unplug it from the Internet so it doesn't automatically reach out to other computers and say, wakey, wakey, everybody, let's destroy the world. Well, see, see, that's the thing about that. First of all, yeah, you don't do that uh, because a lot of that data is very highly proprietary and, and closely guarded. The other is the, the gigabytes and terabytes of data that are involved wouldn't essentially, uh, would essentially be really difficult to move over even our networks today. Um, and then the other very important part of it is that uh, you, know, you wouldn't have an AI that tells other computers to wakey-wakey because why? Uh, as far as they're concerned, they're, they, they exist in their own little sandbox and nothing exists outside of that sandbox. It's kind of like uh, one of the things that, that, that we have to keep in mind about AIs is that things like the, the limitations of the computers in which they run are kind of like the laws of physics in the universe are for us. So just like, for example, we can't all of a sudden decide to turn off gravity and AI can't all of a sudden decide to modify itself beyond the scope that's possible by the mathematics that make its algorithms run. It can't decide, well, I wasn't going to start talking to other other computers today, but I'm going to tomorrow. Like it, yeah. it's just not something it's just not something that's possible. And and okay. again, that's the that's that's the really important part of all of this. It's not that we need to fear the AI itself, it's that we need to fear the humans who would take the potential of the AIs and make it do something horrifying. Yeah, so I, I get that part. I think that's a really good reminder. But I, I'm, I'm going to tap in your computer science brain because maybe I don't understand something and maybe it's naive of me. So I want to come back to the, the bad humans doing things here in a second. There was the guy, the story about the guy at Google who claimed that one of the AI uh, programs had become sentient. And then he claimed all these things, uh, which Google said was not the case. And then he ended up getting fired, I believe. And... Um, it just it, that's available in typical news stories that it's out there. But if somebody like that, if that was something going on in the background, that these things do learn how to learn, right? Like um, that there was so there was a piece of AI that I got to be careful on confidence here. So I don't mean to be too vague, but uh, that somebody I know was working on and it was analyzing video for in a, what was inappropriate clothing for kids kind of like a PG rating scale, but it would automatically look at music videos and it would determine um, if there was bikinis 
booty shaking, thongs on bathing suits or, or women in thongs um, for pop songs that might end up on a TV somewhere, like say in a bowling alley where a, a kid might see that, where obviously a lot of parents aren't going to be so keen on seven-year-olds uh, and grandmothers at a family bowling party and this being on the screens. So if computers can go and take, you know, by the way, this is what inappropriate looks like, and then analyze how people are dressed and learn other options that may or may not be inappropriate with human correction, right? Is this appropriate? Yes, no, yes, no. How is it possible that they can't grow outside that scope that you speak of? Or is this just me not understanding computer science? It's so we actually talked about the inverse of that too. The the essentially using similar um, neural networks uh, to create uh, fake porn essentially with with real people. So you're absolutely right. So the the networks that you're talking about they exist, and you can even if you if you have some sort of a service that uh, collects user submitted information, you can literally go out and buy a subscription uh, to hit their API as many times as you need in order to make those those classification decisions and do your moderation. Um, but it really all comes down to the human. There has to be a human that flips that switch and says, hey, by the way, this is what I need you to do now. Because what what you don't see is literally thousands and thousands of hours of training where there's a lot of humans and contractors that do all of the corrections and that essentially keep steering it and keep customizing the algorithms and keep keep tweaking the data set and the footprints mm-hmm. and all of these things. It's, there's there's a lot of a lot of tech companies don't want you to know about just how much human intervention happens to train AI models because they don't want to leave the mystery out of it. They want to make it seem like, oh, this is this incredible thing, like this digital brain. Um, don't worry about the 5,000 contractors that I hired to actually make this thing wrong in the real world, because if I didn't do that, it would have 30% accuracy instead of 80% accuracy. Right. Okay. So uh, tap into your other half of your brain, the marketing side. In marketing and in business, the, the way that if you ever do research or been a part of market research, which is fascinating stuff, Answers are only as good as the questions that are asked, right? If you go into a political race and you say, who are you voting for? People will go, I'm voting for Team Blue or I'm voting for Team Red. But the reality is, is that if you don't um, clarify questions and ask for details, people might go, well, if I say that I'm voting for Team Red, but I'm actually voting for Team Blue, that'll inspire more Team blue people to vote so i'm gonna do this and all this and this layer of whatever whatever so the answer is only as good as the question so in the case of this ai stuff does this lead us back to that bad humans part is the corrections you're talking about the five thousand contractors as your uh fake example those that means the ai is only as smart as the contributions the humans have led it down the path to, which to me sounds very scary because that means one little mistake or one wrong checkbox and your whole thing could be compromised. Yep, that's true. Basically, humans are the worst. And that's really kind of the lesson that I want you to take a uh, take from all of this. Uh, but uh, it, it, but it, but in all seriousness, no, you're, you're absolutely correct. Uh, the AI is only as good as the questions that you give it. And uh, the uh, the world of computer science nowadays is comp- is littered with once promising models that 
couldn't answer the questions correctly because the questions weren't well thought out and we ended up with barely functioning monstrosities that do terrible things or you know let's let's look at a real example and one that we've mentioned several times the algorithms um, that feed the new that that trigger the news feed for Facebook they know that fake news is engaged with six times more than credible news sources and they know that people mm -hmm. stick around for outrage and so they can be shown more ads so Facebook made the very conscious decision of let's pump outrage down people's throats in order for them to keep staying on the site unless they keep actively resisting it every single day with the choices that they make, with the clicks that they make, with the feedback that they give. So we don't even need to reach to something like, okay, we have a dictator who decided that he wants to rule the world and start chemical warfare in order to see how AI systems can be corrupted willfully uh, by people who whose question isn't how can I use this AI for good, but how can I make this give me the most money? How can I convert yeah. this? Yeah, how can I convert this to the most hits? How can I accomplish my personal little narcissistic goal instead of actually using this for good? Well, so everything, I mean, the reality, like you said, the humans are terrible, but the, the reality is, is that in all of this, uh, we have to remind ourselves that, you know, things like Facebook, that is not free. There is a there is an exchange that is happening there, right? All of these services are not free. No one's doing it for us. And you've seen that. Netflix is a great example. Netflix is the ultimate shrinkflation that they've done is they started out at the seven bucks or whatever it was. And now it's escalated up 18, 19, 20 bucks or whatever in Canada now. I don't even know. And then now they're talking about, oh, by the way, we'll make it cheap again if we put ads in. Right. So there, it is all well crafted in order to in order to get there. And I'll give you another example of the path being tainted. There's some recent science came out last month. Forbes had an article on it, too, and it was the research was done by Science Magazine. For more than 15 years, Alzheimer's research has focused its attention on the theory that the disease primarily caused by the buildup of plaque, the amyloid beta in the brain, could possibly be flawed data that 15 years ago, the guy who did that possibly included flawed, included flawed data in the original paperwork that everybody has gone off for 15 years, that it is possibly misled the entire scientific community until someone looked into it. That's what we're talking about here. Like one person can seriously change the path in a negative way. Yeah, absolutely. And then imagine if they're using a complicated AI model that's going to be much more difficult to audit and how long it's going to take to catch those oh, and problems move faster, right? and like those the bowl of spaghetti gets deeper, right? Exactly. It gets infinitely deeper by comparison because, oh, that's uh, terrifying you know, fine fish. Well, and, and, and what that really, but what that really tells us is that it's not the, it's not the AI. We don't have to worry about the AI as much. We need to worry about the humans and make sure that the humans are making good decisions. And we have some sort of, um, auditing some sort of way to arbitrate that and, and, and double check and make sure that these good decisions are being made because ideally, in an ideal world, we could trust the humans and say, hey, your incentive should be to do the most good to get along with the rest of humanity. But as we see, that's not often the case. So if the incentives aren't to do good with all of this extremely powerful technology that that can do everything from 
change the news and how you vote to change uh, to potentially create brand new bioweapons that could, you know, unleash some sort of horror on you. Um, if we don't have the right incentives, if we don't have the right people to check this and to sound alarms um, and, and to pinpoint the, to the humans who may be responsible, we're going to get more and more of these problems. So that's so that's really the takeaway. The takeaway is we need to watch the humans. We need to make sure that the humans are in it for the right reasons. And we can't just blame technology for this because when I, you can look at a model and say, well, you know, this model did this terrible thing because, you know, it's computers, it's AI, it probably has a glitch. Does it though? Does it have a glitch or did you purposely train it to do yeah. something that benefited you? Or were you just incompetent in training it? And then because no one has vetted it, no one has checked it, you've unleashed it on the real world. It had disastrous effects and right. you are now trying to paper over it because we've had that too. We've had um, artificial intelligence that is in the United States. We had uh, several artificial intelligence packages and models that were trying to predict the rates of recidivism for criminals. And right. they did a terrible job. They basically predicted everything based on race instead of actual crimes. Yeah, so did. again, the point is always watch the humans and always make sure that they're using the AI for good. Well, the, fa the face data was one thing that in the sample data they used white faces mostly and it was wrong for all our other ethnicities and shapes of faces. That was another thing. But you know what's terrifying about this is, and this is a whole other conversation, so we, we don't have time to get into it, obviously, but your argument about, you know, don't blame the computer, blame the people, um, and I agree, like it's, it's, uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly, but that's the exact, that argument is exactly the um, guns don't kill people, people kill people argument and um and some people's solution then is to take away the guns and take away the ai take away the computers and um that's very scary right when we're talking about our, our humans are so reckless and so unhealthy that we can't trust them to handle these things that could change in a negative way like websites like cars right like drugs like opioids that's that's the core of every conversation about legalization drugs of guns of cars of everything that that that's fascinating to me and it's right there at the core yeah that's the 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 issue with ai is that ai is dual use you can do incredible good or you can do incredible ill so if you ban it there's a lot of really good things that might not happen and at this point it's pretty much impossible to ban because it's one thing to ban or restrict something physical and it's another thing to try and ban and restrict something digital it is infinitely harder uh, to do the latter. Hmm. It's crazy. It's fascinating. I posted the link at shiftheads.ca so you can connect with Greg Fish because he's tagged on it too, as well as the article worldofweirdthings.com. It's a blog, it's a podcast, there's all kinds of things happening. And it's if nothing else, and you don't find this interesting at all, the pictures are worth it. Thanks, Fish. Appreciate it, buddy. Always a pleasure. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with water slides? Uh, yeah. I know. Okay. What? Water slides are <laughs> the best. I, I haven't been on a water slide in a while up until this past weekend when we went camping and there were no showers. 
So we went to a local like mini water park in Banff. Mm-hmm. And Laura and I went on each slide six times each. And there's, it's the same slide. It's not even that big. In the hotel there on top of Tunnel Mountain? Yeah, right? that one. Yeah. Yep. They just let us in for free. Go have fun. No. Water slides are the best. Yeah. We got to swim, shower, and go down a water slide completely free. Wow. It was amazing. I hope you showered before you got in the water slide, though. Come on. Grungy. Uh, r- rinsed and then a proper, well, as proper you can shower. Do you want to know public. why I don't like water slides? I'm going to guess it's because if you go down them too many times, your head gets all spinny afterwards. That's my no, guess. No, no. No, that's, that's not, not it. Okay. Not it. So when I was young... Um, I had someone teach me that if you go down a water slide and you go on your heels and your shoulder blades only and you, you lift fast. your butt up, you go really fast. Very fast. So then I learned how to do that. And then you go very fast. Like you're not going fast. Like you are going very fast. So after I did that and how fast it was, it, places like West Edmonton Mall where there's tubes, you stay in the tube, you know, you're fine. And there's been a couple of times you go around corners or something and then like you go really high and you kind of thump down on it, right? Like it hurts. Yeah. And here's the thing. So I can't go on them unless I go really, really fast. Mm-hmm. You know what happened because of that? Did you get launched off? Nightmares. <laughs> I started having nightmares. It was in, in my mind. There used to be a water park. I think it was in Victoria. I don't think of it. I don't know if it's still there yet, but we went to this outdoor water park when I was a kid. And that's where my nightmare happens. It's kind of like grownups when they go to the water slides in the grownups movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I go really, really fast in the dream and I'm on my shoulder blades and my heels because I don't like going slow because that's boring. So if you go slow, it's not fun. But if you go fast, it's dangerous. And then I get launched off the slide in my dream around a corner too fast. And I go flinging off the the water slide in my dream. And that's a, it's a recurring scary. nightmare. That's it is. In fact, we just had a big conversation about dreams and nightmares last night on the shift. It's on the podcast, so you can go check it out. It's fascinating with a neuroscientist. But that has been a recurring dream and nightmare for me to a point where I I don't like going to water slides anymore. But I'm afraid to go fast in case my dream comes true. And you it never happened and you still have the nightmare regardless. And it's a reoccurring one. That's right. really interesting. That's that's crazy. Because I've had I've had moments where I've gone way too fast and like bonked my head, because uh, I do that technique. Because I like to go fast. Uh, in fact, on the bottom of the one slide at the Banff place, like you come around the corner before you get launched into the pool. And Laura told me I was probably halfway off the slide when I came down the corner because yeah. I was going so fast. Which I don't notice that in the moment, but it's awesome. But <laughs> if they fun. don't maintain but, the slides and then the the, cre- the the seams between the pieces of the slides and the bumpity bump, bump, bump on your shoulders. Oh, but again, I can't do it unless I'm going fast because mm-hmm. it's not fun. It's not fun. Interesting. Uh, that's my thing with water slides. Anyway. Okay. Um, if you like water slides, that's cool. High five. Just telling you. Clap. It's my nightmare. Uh, Canada may not be the hottest place on earth. In fact, I've never even heard of a hot water slide before. It's always cool and refreshing, right? Yeah. Hey, maybe there's an idea there. Trademark, copyright, Shane Hewitt, 2022. Um, uh, <laughs> a hot pools water slide. We still have some amazing water parks across uh, Canada as well. Ottawa, you know, um, there's the interior of BC. I mean, they're, they're sort of hidden all over the place. Splashworks at Canada's Wonderland is another good one. Probably, I don't have to tell you this one, but water slides are often wet, which seems strange. Somehow... Uh, a wet water slide at Wonderland ignited flames and it became a hot fire. 
The water park at Canada's Wonderland is closed today after a fire broke out at one of its attractions. Flames could be seen at around 11 p.m. Sunday at the Splashworks water park, which was closed at the time. York Regional Police say the blaze started near its pump house structure and spread to a slide and some trees. Investigators believe the incident may have started from a scheduled fireworks show that took place at 10 p.m., but that remains under investigation. There were, thankfully, no injuries. Okay, so it happened after the park was closed, so nobody was hurt, so that's good. York Regional Police say the blaze started near the pump house structure, spread to a slide and some trees. The images are pretty striking because the slide is literally melted in half. Yep. Which... I will probably now have a nightmare about about being like a lobster or a frog slowly boiled in a water slide. And then like the bottom falls out because it melted and it's hot. And see, you fall into see a what pot. you're doing mm, or a bowl. Mm. So I wonder, though, if the water work was closed, it, they might not have had water actually flowing down the slide at the time. You never know. That Maybe there was. Maybe. Maybe it melted it and then that's it put itself out. That'd be a win. Yeah, you don't need firefighters at a water park. Clearly you do. Clearly you do. Um, fascinating story, that's for sure. The good news is it's reopened. Good news is it's only one slide and yep. nobody got hurt. So yep. uh, that's kind of cool. Uh, yeah, I'm, I've really learned in the last couple of days that I think I have a lot of recurring nightmares on this shift. <laughs> I've shared a lot of them. With you. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you want to hear it or not, I don't know. But that's there it is. Ta-da. There's my life. My goodness. Are you okay with funding me? Oh, it's GoFundMe. Yeah. Yeah, GoFundMe. Mm. I, I like GoFundMe. Yeah, to come we all. I mean, I like GoFundMe more than I like Kickstarter because, you know, Kickstarter is for usually for products. Uh, then it's 50 50 if it's a scam or not. And GoFundMe is usually for a, for a cause. You know, I think of like Elijah Pitskalny, the guy who biked across Western Canada uh, yep. for Mom Stop the Harm. Like that was a great example of GoFundMe doing good stuff. Um, but there's also some like it's just there's a lot of money that gets uploaded onto that website. A lot of money. And it's just kind of like you have to trust that it's going to get to the people who need it. And uh that's uh, that's a little sketchy. There's also that uh, that one time where someone used GoFundMe to make a egg salad sandwich, and they got like something like one hundred and twenty thousand dollars just as a mm -hmm. joke. So, yeah. Well, it's amazing what people will give money to. That's for sure. You know what the thing with um, that happened with the trucker convoy and GoFundMe and all these funding mm -hmm. sites. I, I get the money laundering part. Like you can't have massive amounts of money flying around with no tax credit because the government's just all about taxes. They want to know where the money is and they want their fair share. But at the same time, so I get that because it was a lot of money, but at the same time, I'm really not okay with someone going snooping and finding out who donated to those things. I don't think it's anybody's business who donated, right? As much, whether I agreed with it or not, doesn't matter, but who donates to it? Um, I struggle with that one. It's not like politics, right? With politics, because the, the lobby for the things is is there. And at what point does it become none of your business? And so I I struggle with it because it's supposed to be a good thing. And if somebody passes away in a car crash, you need to fundraise for a funeral, that kind of stuff. That's amazing. But it is a breeding ground for scams. And, and um, you want to make sure it's clear. So how do you do it in the you deserve your own privacy realm? mixed in with 
by the way, you get to give your money where you want to give your money because it's your money realm mixed in with, by the way, let's make sure that you can somehow audit that it's not a scam thing, right? Um, it's a tough one, that's for sure. But in the case of one uh, of the very first GoFundMe scams is finally closed now. A Burlington County woman will spend one year behind bars for her role in a massive GoFundMe scam. A judge sentenced Caitlin McClure today after she pleaded guilty to the con in 2017. You may remember McClure started a GoFundMe with her boyfriend at the time. They made up a story about a homeless man helping pay for her gas after she was stranded on I-95. People donated more than $400,000, which McClure and Mark D'Amico spent themselves. D'Amico was already spending more than two years in prison. So that was from CBS News, by the way. Okay, so let me try to explain what happened. The story that she told was that she ran out of gas and a homeless person gave her his last 20 bucks. That was the story. Prosecutors say the then couple spent the money, uh, the $400,000 on a new BMW, New Year's trip to Las Vegas, gambling in casinos, Louis Vuitton handbags, and more items. Bobbitt received $75,000 from the fundraiser. That was um, the homeless person in the story. Mm -hmm. So uh, it seems to be legit that the funding, there was a bunch of funding that did go to the homeless person that in fact did do this good deed and did help out that, that part based on following this article and reading this article seems to be legit. So they fundraised, they gave the homeless dude some money and then they kept the rest. Now it was that guy though, who was the kind and generous person who talked to prosecutors, took civil action against them, and the scam became public. So it was the good deed person who did another good deed to stop the scammers, which is fascinating. So this is what really happened according to police. The couple first met Bobbitt at an off-ramp uh, near a casino at least a month before the GoFundMe campaign went live. So it was very similar, but not the same. Investigators reviewed the text the couple sent discussing the scam and their money troubles, including one McClure sent to a friend that read, okay, so wait, the gas is, uh, part is completely made up, but the guy isn't. I had to make something up to make people feel bad. And the guy came clean. Or he wanted his fair share of the money, I suppose is possible. But um, so, the st you know, there's always an ounce of truth in every lie. Mm -hmm. That's what sort of they always say. And and so it was kind of true, just not quite as the way they described. It's been a long time going, finally solved. Since then, though, there's been an awful lot of scams out there. That's for sure. There's so many. He's like set the benchmark. I remember when this happened. I remember seeing all the, oh, look at this incredible story. Share it with your friends. I remember it. And to think that that became as big of a scam as it is. Uh, and uh, also how careless they were with the money they got too. Like they probably could have gotten away with it if they were smarter with it, but nope. You just had to buy the Beamer, eh? Yep. Uh, liked GoFundMe until I saw it being used to fund domestic terrorism and straight up mm -hmm. scams like people faking illness, one texter says. Um, I won't use GoFundMe, another texter says. Uh, I'll find a way to give the money directly to the organization or person, which really is, uh, if you can do that, probably the best. But the Kickstarter, like Ryan said, though, is usually for a product. Like, hey, I've got an yeah. idea for a new tire. And so you fund it. And usually people are basically pre, they're either giving you money for free because they believe in your idea or they're pre-purchasing a tire. Bad example, perhaps, but you get the point. So you do get something in return on that one. So, you know, I just, I, 
I still go stand by that, right? Like the people who give the money, that's your prerogative. But again, it's no different than someone who says, you know, I have an illness and I'm going knocking door to door asking for donations, right? That part, that can't be okay. Tough one. For are you okay with on this one, let's start with this clip that is completely out of context to get it going. Did you just rap like this? No! 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 no, no, no. no. Yes. 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 A bit. A bit. A bit. She has got a wart. What makes you think she is a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt. A newt. I got better. Better Are you okay with witches? Which witches? Which witches are? Uh, witches are kind of cool. I really like this resurgence of witches as uh, either villains or protagonists in movies. Uh, I think of the witch, the movie, also Fear Street. Lately, as in horror, like witches are a great idea for horror and just like kind of you know medieval storylines. And, uh, you know, because I grew up, you know, the stereotypical witch with green skin, the giant nose, the hat and the broomstick. But you can do a lot with those characters and a lot with the, you know, what witches actually represent. And uh, there's some hit or misses, but I kind of like that people are having the, this creative uh, storm of good movies and good books uh, about witches. It's a cool it's a cool idea. It's really interesting to me. Well, it is it is scary, though, because, you know, in history, that's all you had to do is call someone a witch and they probably got, you know, thrown in the water, see if they drown, burn at the stake, all those things. I mean, that was basically the ultimate get somebody into such a pickle. Um, that's for sure. Even if you look at history, though, the clairvoyant, the mysticals and the influence of the witches, the white witches and all those in the storylines is quite impactful when people were looking for insights into the future, too. So. Uh, a heavy role in the past, that's for sure. There was a point in history when it was all bad. People were always scared of witches. It was very illegal, actually. Anyone suspected of being a witch, subjected to tribal, trial, unjustified death. It's a dark chapter in history. A Massachusetts woman, last known resident in that state to have been legally classified as a witch who was wrongly convicted of witchcraft and sentenced to death more than three centuries ago, has finally been exonerated. According to Courthouse News, Elizabeth Johnson Jr. was condemned to death in 1693 during the height of the Salem witch trials. She was Massachusetts' only known resident who was still legally considered a witch and not anymore. Thankfully, she was never executed. She was only 22 when she was caught up in the witch trials and sentenced to hang. According to Fox News, then-government William Phipps threw out her punishment as the magnitude of the gross miscarriages of justice in Salem started to sink in. Fear is a powerful thing. No kidding, eh? Uh, very scary. Well, that's nice. 300, 400 years later? 300 yeah. and some years later. 330 years later. My goodness. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.